Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean Advocate is Grant Basinger. Grant is a field biologist with Ecological Associates Incorporated, working to monitor and conserve sea turtle populations in South Florida. Hi, Grant. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited to talk to you today about everyone's favorite ocean animal, the sea turtle. To give our listeners a little bit of background, Grant and I met a few weeks ago at the beach, actually. We're both from the same area in, on the southeast coast of Florida. And I was on an early morning walk and Grant was working. He was riding around on his ATV early in the morning monitoring sea turtle nests. And, you know, me obviously being super interested in everything ocean, started talking to him, asking him a bunch of questions because although I love sea turtles and know a bit about them, I've never studied them actually myself. So, you know, always wanting to learn more. And Grant taught me a lot actually that morning. So um, it was really great to meet him and here we are on the podcast today. So I wanted to have Grant on the podcast today for a number of different reasons. One of those is that we are currently in the middle of sea turtle nesting season here in Florida. And I thought it's appropriate that listeners get informed on what's going on and also about what people like Grant and the people at Ecological Associates are doing to help sea turtles. So Grant, I want to ask if right here in the beginning... You can tell us, when we talk about sea turtle nesting season, what are we actually talking about? What does it mean? Like, what are the sea turtles doing at this time of year? Right. So in Florida, on the southeast coast here along the Atlantic Ocean, sea turtle nesting season is typically from March 1st to the end of October, around October 31st. During that period of time, we're out on the beach doing early morning nesting surveys seven days a week throughout that whole period of time. And we're looking for several species of sea turtles that come up here in Florida. Leatherback sea turtles, which are the largest, they start nesting early in March. And then they're followed typically by uh, loggerheads in mid to late April, and then green turtles in late May, early June. And so we're looking for nesting mothers coming up on the beach to lay their eggs before they uh, return back to the beach and then we'll come by and mark off the nests. And so do you also do anything with, because part of the nesting season is that the babies, you know, hatch out of the sand and they, they go back to the ocean. Do you have any part in monitoring that as well? Right. So um, once the mothers come up and nest and lay their eggs, usually about a hundred eggs in a clutch, they call the group of eggs a clutch and they're about an arm's length down in the sand. And we come by once the mother nests and we know where the eggs are. We locate the eggs and we'll come monitor the, the nest until it hatches. And we're looking every day if anything's happening to the sand, like predators or if it's getting inundated with uh, water or being rained on. We'll mark, make notes of all that until the nest hatches. And then we'll wait for three days and we'll let all the little hatchlings get out and make it towards the beach. And then we'll come by and we'll excavate the nest and dig up and do a reproductive success research on that to see how many of the eggs hatched, how many of them didn't hatch. If there's any alive ones still in there, we'll get them out. 
And if there's dead ones in there, we'll count that and that sort of thing. And so can you describe the listeners how many sea turtles are coming to this area of the southeast Florida coast every year? Yeah, so so this year I actually have numbers from March through July 31st in front of me here, and this is for Martin County and St. Lucie County on the southeast coast, like we mentioned. We've had so far 7,271 loggerhead nests, 139 green turtle nests, and 248 leatherback nests. Wow. And to give listeners a little bit of frame of reference there, like Grant said, that's just two counties on the Atlantic coast of Florida and sea turtles are nesting all along that coastline. So seeing numbers of 7,000 loggerhead sea turtles just in two counties is giving you a little idea of how many turtles are actually coming to these beaches of Florida and, and how important it is. So that actually brings me to another really good question. Why do you feel like the work that you're doing, the work that Ecological Associates is doing and and so many other sea turtle companies. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we monitor sea turtle populations in this area? Yeah, so sea turtles are protected under the Endangered Species Act here in the United States as threatened and endangered species. The ones we have here, the leatherback is endangered, the loggerhead and the green turtle. Florida populations are both listed as threatened. So under that, we have to study and collect data on the health of these populations in order to determine whether or not we're successful in making sure that the species is recovered. So it becomes important for the work that I do specifically and other groups along the coast because really the only opportunity that we have to study the adult sea turtles, specifically the females, is when they come up on the beach and nest because they're out of the water and they're somewhat captive on the beach. So we can actually go up to them and get a lot of good data, such as measurements and health and genetic studies on them while they're up on the beach and nesting versus out trying to go out in the ocean and find them in the open ocean is a little more difficult. And so can you walk myself and listeners through what a typical morning is like for you? You said you guys are out there seven days a week monitoring these sea turtle nests and the hatchlings. What's it typically like for you out there? Yeah, so we cover somewhere around 30 miles of beach. To give you an idea, that's a pretty long distance. So we are riding ATVs or four-wheelers around like you were mentioning. So a day for me is typically waking up about four in the morning and getting out to the beach with the ATV 30 minutes before sunrise. And then we start at the south end of our beaches and we work our way north and I'm documenting every sea turtle crawl from the previous night. So sea turtle, when the moms come up to nest, they come up typically at night and they leave sea turtle crawls on the beach. If you've heard of those, it's basically their track. So we can tell that they were up on the beach because they're leaving imprints in the sand. And I look for those imprints and that's the idea of getting out early in the morning is that we're out before people have walked all over them so that we can document every crawl. And like I was saying, we've had 7,000 loggerhead nests, but we've had close to 20,000 loggerhead crawls. So not every time that the mom comes up on the beach does she nest. Right now it's about a third of the time she actually lays some eggs on the beach. So that's what I'm looking for in documenting. What causes a female sea turtle to come out of the ocean, crawl up the beach, and then crawl back into the ocean without laying eggs? 
Yeah, there's a variety of, of reasons um, that that could occur. Sometimes they just naturally decide that they're not ready to nest once they get up on the beach. Other times they get up and there's not enough beach for them to go as far as they want to go up to lay their eggs, so they'll turn around and come back. Other influences are human-related, such as people being out on the beach at night and interfering with its nesting in some way. Light pollution is another issue. If there's too many lights out there, she may get distracted by them and then turn around. Those are typically the most common reasons for her not to nest. If any of our listeners have ever been on a beach during nesting season, you have probably seen these sticks coming out of the sand, these small wooden sticks that say something on them, or you've seen a group of sticks, like three or four sticks with tape around them, kind of fencing off an area of the sand. And these are sea turtle nests that people like Grant mark off. Grant, can you talk about why you guys mark them off? And one thing that you taught me when I was speaking with you on the beach a few weeks ago was that you guys actually only mark every 24th nest, which I found super interesting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so it, it depends on uh, the various types of research that we're doing on how many nests we're actually marking. And it, it tends to change throughout the season, depending on if it's a big nesting year. We We only have so much manpower, so we can't mark every nest. And as a result, we break it up into every 12th, 24th, et cetera. And uh, the reason behind that is that to do our research, we, we, we want to try and not interfere with the nest as much as possible. We want to let nature take its course out there. But to get good data and good scientific data, we mark off the nest. And that way, from the morning that we mark it, we, we use some highly sophisticated GPS equipment and we take an elevation of the beach that the first night from when it was laid. And then we come back at the at the end once the hatchlings come out and we again take another measurement to see if there's been a change in sand elevation. And then we're also noting, like I said, every day we come by and note if there's any like ghost crab holes in the nest because they're possibly eating on the eggs. We know how many eggs were in the nest or if it's been covered by ocean water or rain or any of those kind of things that anything that could potentially have an impact on those little babies coming up out of the nest. Um, and it also gives us an idea of how successful the turtles are in, in their reproductive success. If only one hatchling makes it out of all the 100 eggs or if closer to 100 of them make it out, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. To kind of divert the conversation a little bit, one thing that we talked about when we met on the beach was something that really interested me was that a few years ago, you were working with EAI doing some sea turtle research and other research that they do. And you actually went on from there to go to law school at University of Florida. And you were living in Washington, D.C., practicing environmental law. And then you made the decision to come back and work again in kind of the world of ocean science and conservation I guess my question for you is what prompted your decision to get into environmental law and then what prompted your decision to come back to conservation and science? Yeah, so I guess a little background on myself. I majored in environmental science in my undergraduate studies, and so I was very interested in environmental issues throughout college, and I held several internships in all different kinds of fields within environmental science from hazardous waste and remediation to groundwater testing and bioenergy and biology projects. And 
I just kind of kind of love the outdoor aspect of being in, in biology and working in biology. But I still had an interest in how public policy and environmental issues come together. That's why I went up to D.C. and finished out my law degree. But I still liked having an office out on the beach every day. So I came back and now I work on those on, on sea turtle nesting issues as well as other environmental issues in South Florida. And I really get to get my hands on the projects a lot more than when I was an attorney. One really kind of big environmental happening that occurs in this area of South Florida is beach renourishment. And for listeners, I know that Chad Nelson, the CEO of Surfrider that was on a few weeks ago, he was talking about beach renourishment and how Surfrider sometimes advocates for it and sometimes doesn't. In in our area in Southeast Florida, our beaches have been renourished with sand quite a few times. And Grant and his colleagues at EAI are really important in that process. Grant, can you explain a little bit about your role in assessing the pros and cons of beach renourishment in regards to turtles, obviously? Right. Beach renourishment projects don't come without controversy, so there's definitely people on both sides of the fence for that issue. But as far as my involvement in it, it comes with the sea turtles and the nesting shorebirds. We go out and analyze the sea turtle nest, the, the moms that come up and nest on the renourished beaches. We become involved because they'll lay their eggs, and then we have to make sure that the sand is the right kind of sand for sea turtles to be nesting in. Um, we don't want it to be hard like concrete so they can't get their flippers into the sand to dig their egg chambers out where they put the eggs. And we also don't want it to be so soft that they can't that every time they try and dig a hole it fills right back in. So we're we're trying to make sure that the sand is good enough for sea turtle nesting and shorebirds while also making sure that construction companies that are renourishing the beach are staying within their environmental laws and keeping in compliance with the projects. So what are some techniques that you guys have found that really benefit the sea turtles as well as, you know, keeping the construction projects moving and things like that? Right. So our company plays a few roles during construction. Um, We don't actively do the construction. We're more of the monitoring and compliance side. But we found that putting a berm up on the beach and if they're pumping sand onto the beach, if they let that berm between the ocean and where they're pumping the sand, if they let that kind of act as a runway, to let the water run down it, it's a lot better for the near shore beach area because then the water won't be as turbid or silty coming off of the beach versus them just pumping right right onto the beach and right into the water. So they kind of let it run down like a ramp type runway and that lets it settle out and lets the water that's going out into the ocean be a little less turbid. Other things that we found are trying to create gently sloping beaches instead of more vertical scarps, they call them escarpments. Those gentler slope of the beach allows the sea turtles to climb up easier so they're not facing barriers than once they get on the beach because it does take a lot of energy for the nesting mothers to get up to where they want to lay eggs and get back down to the beach at the end. You mentioned earlier that the sea turtles nesting in this area of the world are either endangered or threatened and that's the same for all seven species of sea turtles. They're all in some way, their populations aren't doing so good. And because of that, in order to do the work that you're doing, you and EAI have permits from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission and 
the National Marine Fisheries Service to do your work. So in regards to people and turtles inhabiting the same place, you know, the sandy beach, what advice do you have to listeners if they are to encounter a mother sea turtle or some hatchlings on the beach? My advice um, in Florida specifically is that you shouldn't be out on the beach at night viewing sea turtles on your own unless you're part of a an organized sea turtle walk and go along with a biologist like myself who knows how to approach the sea turtles correctly. As we were talking about earlier, reasons why turtles come up and go up onto the beach and turn around and come back down without nesting. We've seen instances where it's clearly caused by people being up in the turtle's face and she just isn't comfortable doing all the work that she needs to do on the beach to lay her eggs when there's a group of people around her taking pictures with their camera phones, you know. So that's my first piece of advice is to go with an organized guide and group because, first of all, you'll be with someone like myself who knows a lot about sea turtles and they can give you a great education on the species while you're out there. Plus, uh, the second part of that is that you'll be under a permit while you're out there, so you won't have to worry about the cops coming or police becoming involved because you're out harassing marine turtles. My other advice, I guess, is if you, if you do come upon them, because they do come up out of the ocean during the day sometimes, don't get near their head. Um, try and stay behind them if possible, and make sure all of your lights are off, so that's cell phones, flashlights, anything like that. And if you find hatchlings, the little babies, once they come up out of the sand, just let them go. Don't pick them up. And so what about taking photos? You know, you mentioned when I met you on the beach that in order to take photos, you also have to have permits. Are people allowed to take photos of sea turtles if they're being respectful of their distance and all those types of things? Yeah, they can. Just at night, they shouldn't be taking photos because... For both mothers and hatchlings, they use light cues, natural light cues, such as the moon or reflections off the water to orient themselves. So if the moonlight is the only light out there, um, that's what they're using as kind of a guide to get to and from the ocean. So if people are taking flash photography photos, then it throws off the sea turtles and they think that that is the moon. So they'll start going towards night lights out on the beach, which is one of the big impacts to sea turtles is actually lighting. So lighting from either cameras or lighting from condos and houses or street lights, not on the beach, but on the, on the backside of the dunes. And that's become a big problem that we're seeing in South Florida is that the turtles will orient towards those lights and then they'll end up in somebody's parking lot or pool or house or property or something like that. Yeah. So to finish up here, one last question with sea turtle species being endangered or threatened, to you personally, why is it important that we keep these species from going extinct, you know, from going to the other side rather than helping their populations grow? Right. So sea turtles play an interesting role because they, as we've been talking about, the mothers and the hatchlings come up onto the beach. So they actually are part of the terrestrial ecosystem and the marine ecosystem because they spend the rest of their lives out in the ocean. If it's a male sea turtle, once they're born, that's the only time they'll ever be on the beach, so they'll never come back up onto the beach. Um, as a result, sea turtles and all the little hatchlings play a vital role in, in the link between the beach and the ocean, so they're transporting nutrients in the form of 
themselves as an egg or as a hatchling. They provide a food source for crabs and birds, anything that's on the beach there that, that could eat them. They're a vital food source for those, as well as fish and other things once they get offshore. But once they grow up to adult size, there's really not many predators for them other than large sharks. So it's, it's vitally important that the adult sea turtles are kept around because they, it takes them about 30 years to reach uh, maturity, 30 years till they can start reproducing. So the, the adult sea turtles are really the critical component of the research right now because they were over-harvested or caught as bycatch in commercial and recreational fisheries for a long period of time up until the 1970s when the Endangered Species Act was enacted and the turtles were put on that list of species. So the laws that we put in place in the early 70s are finally just starting this, we're starting to see the impacts of those because the little hatchlings that were born back then are finally starting to reach reproductive age. And time will tell how successful we've been with our efforts so far in research. And it is a long-term process because they don't reach maturity as fast as other species. Are there any trends that you're seeing in sea turtle population growth or decline or staying the same? Is, is it too early to tell or? Um, yeah, it's what? hard to say um, exactly, but we, we have been seeing a general increase in the, in the nesting trending. Um, that's the component that my company is mostly involved with is the nesting research. So we have seen increases in nesting, but they do tend to fluctuate. I mean, each species is a little different than the others. Um, they go up from, say, 200 nests in one year up to 500 the next year, and, and they kind of go back and forth. So it's, it's a little hard to tell unless you have a long, long data set, which my company has been working since the 70s and 80s out on the beaches around here. So we have a pretty good data set going on, but the more data we can get, the better. Great. Well, for our listeners, if you guys are interested in learning more about Grant and the company he works for, Ecological Associates Incorporated, I will be linking to their website when I post this podcast episode, and I'll also be linking to their Facebook so you guys can give them a like, see all the cool work that they do beyond just sea turtle monitoring and conservation and connect with Grant there. Grant, I want to thank you for all the work that you and EAI are doing like you said, it's critically important that these sea turtles, you know, don't go extinct and they make it. And it's great to hear that you guys are collecting this long-term data set that is necessary to see how turtle populations are doing. So thank you for that. And thank you also for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Austin. It's been great. You just heard Grant Basinger, field biologist with Ecological Associates Incorporated, working to monitor and conserve sea turtle populations in South Florida. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at alisonrandolph.com and tune into next week's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.